0: I literally, uh, a couple of weeks ago, approved a show's rundown that had I been clear about what day of the week it was, like me personally, Shauna Thomas, I would not have approved it. <laughs> so the show then posted the next day, and I was like, wait, hey, but this is, but that doesn't, oh, I did that. I did that because I thought it was Thursday when I approved it, and it was Wednesday.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of More Than a Pretty Face. Uh, Today, I'm here with the lovely and awesome Shauna Thomas. Um, She used to work at NBC News, and then she went to be the Bureau Chief for Vice News um, in D.C., and now you're a content executive for Quibi. Um, And then hopefully what I'm hoping to learn is what is a Quibi? Um by, <laughs> by the end of this podcast. Um but you just like literally done all the things. Uh, so I'll <laughs> in,
0: a, in a very specific <laughs> world, I've
1: done all the things. Yeah, so. Um so Shauna, do you wanna introduce yourself?
0: Sure. Hi, I'm Shauna Thomas. Um, yeah, and I am a content executive for Quibi, which we can get into what Quibi is, as well as what's a content executive. Yes. Because I took the job and didn't even totally understand what the job was. I was like, executive, that sounds good. Um, you're like, it
1: has health insurance? Okay. Like, yeah, and you're
0: going to you're gonna pay me every two weeks on time. Cool. I know that's um, right. But, yeah, so as as you said, I... Um, I I technically started my news career at Fox News as an intern. Um, I was their White House intern the summer of 2001, and that turned into a part-time job um, on their guest booking desk on the weekends mm-hmm. in my last year of being um, a student at George Washington University. And then um, I was actually I actually was working for Fox on 9/11. Um, oh wow! And, Then um, I, for a very, very brief period of time, it was my full-time job after I graduated from college, but I ended up going back to the conversation about health insurance. In the pre-Obamacare days, health insurance with a job was really, really important to me. Also, because I couldn't stay on my parents insurance after I graduated from college. So um, the job I had with Fox was not one that included health insurance Uh at the time. Uh, and so I ended up taking a job as a lobbyist for the meatpacking industry for an organization called the National Meat Association. And the caveat there is that my actual degree is in political communication, or my undergraduate degree is in political communication. Um, so I always, at that point, I knew I loved television. I knew I loved news. I wasn't quite sure television was practical. I also went to college on a theater scholarship and decided that wasn't practical either.
1: Yes, uh, shout out to our theater kids.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, as well theater even less of a chance of having health insurance so well, uh, my parents instilled some level of practicality in me, even <laughs> though I still ended up in television of all things mm-hmm. um, so I thought I'd go into like campaign management or being a press secretary or just something in politics and I applied mm-hmm. for jobs on the hill and all the other stuff and I ended up in a very weird situation getting this job as as the the only DC representative for a meat for the meatpacking lobby for a very specific organization <laughs> that primarily represented small and medium sized meat packers, um, and I learned a ton by doing that job in DC as a twenty year old. Mm-hmm. Um, there were many uh, fundraisers with you know like. Whatever senator who was on agriculture or agriculture appropriations, mm-hmm. where I was definitely the only black woman on the world. and I, I like I did I literally got the job and started it before I turned twenty one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was also strange. Oh <laughs> my, <I'm like>, okay,
1: <laughs> yeah. How how? Because no one would like even consider. I remember graduating from college and no one would even like they'd come back to us in a couple months when it's like you have the diploma
0: in hand. Yes. Well, I had the diploma. That I had. Um, I was interviewing for the job in sort of the, the last weeks of being in college, and I had a professor there who, weirdly, I always thought didn't like me, but one day pulled me aside and was like, hey, do you have a job? And I was like, I have this sort of job with Fox, but I'm not sure it's the right way to go. And he's like, "He's like, I really want you to... Uh, you know, talk to this organization. They're looking for full-time representation in D.C., but they don't actually want to pay that much. <laughs> <And> <laughs> he said that in a much more diplomatic way, but that's what he meant. Um, and But they did have a law firm representing them in D.C., mm-hmm. um, and so my office was going to be in that law firm, like renting an office from the firm. And then the partner who was in charge of the organization I worked for, they're like... their company and like their legal stuff sort of took me under his wing for about six months and like showed me around and took me to meetings and stuff. And then they were like, okay, you go do that part now. Like we'll still do the legal part. Don't worry about (laughs) it." But in terms of like representing at fundraisers and writing congressional testimony and submitting testimony and, um, and you know, having regular meetings at the USDA and sort of understanding the issues that surrounded of all things meatpacking, um, like that became my job.
1: That is a wild twist and turn.
0: It is. Um, but what it did is it taught me a lot about how Capitol Hill works, mm-hmm. and how like money and politics works on the Hill, as well as just like how to understand how policy issues, how things are developed on the Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, it also really, after one year of that job, and I loved the people I worked with, and it was a good job, I was like, you know what I actually like doing? Reporting on this. Not being the lobbyist. <laughs> So it was actually really good clarification for me in some ways. Mm -hmm. I spent two years doing this thing that did give me a body of knowledge that would be um, relatable to what I would end up doing. But, um, yeah, I had this two years where I just kind of wandered around D.C. and talked about E. coli.
1: I feel like that sounds like a lot of people, though. I feel like I too have wandered around DC. <laughs> <laughs> or just like weirdly enough, yes, I did have a conversation with a grad school classmate about E. coli because she got it once. But yes, I think like we all kind of wander around for a little bit, not fully knowing what we're doing.
0: Yeah, and I really, I was adamant that I did not want to go directly from undergrad to graduate school, mm-hmm. that I needed time not in school and I needed to figure out what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. um and uh, and and I think for me personally those two years in between undergrad and graduate school were a really good idea
1: and did you decide to go back to graduate school for journalism
0: yes specifically for broadcast journalism so i went to university of southern california oh, okay. uh, and got at the time their broadcast journalism master's program was a two year program mm-hmm. and so i spent two years at usc and and got my degree in journalism and then you may made... i'm not i don't necessarily suggest i don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's still like a like in especially in like network television news mm-hmm. there is still this group of people who are like you don't need to go to journalism school you just need to like get that internship and learn it on like like while you're doing it yeah um ever's um for me personally having the master's degree led directly to my first job at NBC News Mm. so I do think there is also a group of people in network news that's sort of like "Eh, a master's degree can't hurt if you can afford it
1: True. I think I think that's so interesting. Cause did you go straight to being, you didn't do the DA program at NBC.
0: No, I did the News Associates program.
1: News Associates. Okay, which is different because you were based out of New York.
0: Yeah. yeah. So for your listeners, uh, the NBC has a what amounts to a minority recruiting program mm-hmm. um, to sort of train people how to be producers, um, sort of. And at the time, they took about five people a year, um, and they they gave you a job in New York. They didn't pay you well.
1: Still <laughs> <And>, don't. So,
0: <laughs> And um, you had four different experiences for three months each. So mm-hmm. I did three months on the Today Show, three months on the network assignment desk, um, sort of... Browbeat NBC into giving me a DC posting, so I did three months on Meet the Press with Tim Russer. Oh, um, because a, pro, a senior producer on that show went on maternity leave and they just needed extra help, and like mm-hmm. they had to pay extra for me. Um, and then the fourth rotation, I went back to New York and went onto to the political desk because that was mm-hmm. 2007, and they were NBC was mm-hmm. gearing up Decision 2008 coverage, mm-hmm. so. And that ended up turning into my full-time job at Mm -hmm. NBC, where I helped plan um, 2008 coverage as one of the political desk assignment editors.
1: So were you excited? I mean, not only—I mean, obviously, yes, excited. But what was it like, you as a young Black woman just out here on these streets, and then like you're seeing the first Black president rise?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, as a journalist, you want to be— Um, objective about Mm -hmm. these things and like I wasn't in the fields and covering unless it was a big event and I was doing more sort of the technical production Mm -hmm. side of things um but it was like you know it it was an exciting time and I and you get you have to remember in that primary everyone thought Hillary Clinton would win and frankly me as a as a young black woman um who grew up in the South. I grew up in Houston, Texas. I literally, until the day of the election, did not think Barack Obama was going to be <laughs> president of the United well. States. I was, like, looking around, and I was like, these white people are not going to vote for him. Oh, girl.
1: <laughs> and, and the
0: thing is, like, I was literally by the end in, you know, you, you know the specials unit mm-hmm. is the one who controls all the polling and everything else. It works a little differently now at NBC News, but... I was in all of those last meetings about the polling that they were seeing come in, as well as like the exit polling meetings, like the day of the election, and NBC knew before 11pm that Barack Obama was going to win, they knew it, and they, like, I remember when they were like, at 11, when polls close in California, we are going to announce this thing. And I Mm -hmm. looked around and I was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Really? really Oh really? Okay. I'm glad, y'all. Like, I have I have helped set up twenty five twenty five live shots around the world. Mm-hmm. Literally, I set up a live shot in Kenya that night. Um, that I believe it was Ron Mott in Kenya, and um, I was like, I guess we're gonna use these, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think Tamron Hall. I set up one at like Spelman University. Tamron Hall was there. Went to that one, and I was like, Oh, okay. Okay, I, I, okay, okay <laughs> here we go. So, you know, I it was a uh, I I think it doesn't kill my objectivity to say it was a nice moment to see America in that. Point. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I think, I think you bring up an interesting point because this is a conversation I have all the time with, um, with people. And it's the idea of like being a black woman, being in news, um, can be difficult. I mean, not can be, it is difficult, but I think on top of that is this idea about objectivity and, how it's it's hard to not remain objective but to make sure that people don't see you as not being objective because of being a woman, because of your skin color. Um, and I think, I don't know if you can speak a little to that.
0: Yeah, I, I'm actually going to turn that around a little bit mm-hmm. because I think not sort of That point, like that 2007, 2008 (laughs) point in my career, but at the point of my career, especially when I was covering the White House and then went to meet the press and Mm -hmm. probably meet the press, at that point I had a senior title and felt a lot more comfortable with kind of speaking up about topics and Mm -hmm. point of view and things like that. It is hard sometimes to speak up especially if you are the only black woman in the room with people who are above you and who mm-hmm. tend to be white men even now even though when I will say when I was at NBC News at the end of my time there like there was a woman in charge of, yeah. with, with the president of the news division um but I did feel empowered enough that if we were talking about issues and trying to figure mm-hmm. out like what were going to be the questions for Meet the Press on Sunday and that kind of thing that bringing my point of view into it was actually helping the show mm-hmm. that um, that I mean I mean don't get me wrong everyone around that table for the most part like I think there's a lot of people who went to GW <laughs> and I went to George <laughs> Washington University which is a very typical place to go if you're interested in politics mm-hmm. and that kind of thing but there aren't that many people in that group who have who grew up black in the South, mm-hmm. you know, um, from a major city that is not on the East or West Coast. So I do have a different point of view on certain things. Mm-hmm. And that bringing that point of view into the process of research and questions and that kind of thing is going to make that particular show more rich. Yeah. Um, and I think if I, my thought process, and I don't know if this was conscious at the time, but I have thought about it a lot since then is if I do not bring at least my point of view and my experience, as well as my knowledge and what I've learned um, into the room, then those questions will never get asked. Like, it's part of why I'm there.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So I, I see it when it's done at the right time and the right way and everything else. And, you know, you always have to feel out a situation. I feel it is actually an asset for me. Mm-hmm. And then if I don't do that, then I am actually lessening my own value. Mm, mm, mm.
1: I think that's a really amazing way to put it, actually lessening your own value to not speak up. Because, you know, I've I've come across this with, you know, women of color in the newsroom and people of color in the newsroom. It's where where do we speak and how do we speak to not offend, to not alarm um, and I've just always been a person that kind of like says what's on my mind, but I, then I realize like not everybody is like that. So, so it's hard to kind of figure out that balance. And you talk about finding your voice and feeling comfortable. Um, did you f- always feel that way or was it just like, it was a slow build?
0: It was a slow build. I mean, I, you know, it, what I think helped me was, I think I had a very charmed experience at NBC, mm-hmm. And I don't mean that I didn't work really hard or basically yeah. all the time for so the entire decade I was there. I did. I worked really, really hard. But I think that work was honored by promotions and experiences and that kind of thing. And I think because of that buildup, there was more and more trust put in me. And mm-hmm. so I had more and more trust in myself to be like, I understand this, and I know this question. Mm-hmm. So, but I, you know, I... I would
1: not have been that person as a news associate. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's fine. I think that's the hard thing. It's I, at least now growing up, kind of with millennial generation. I feel. I mean, you're a millennial too, but just kind of barely,
0: <laughs> barely a millennial. But technically, I am a millennial.
1: Yes, you're like yes. Thank you so much. Um, but I think. This need to be more outspoken and and I find striking that balance of you know I'm I don't feel like I should wait until I'm at such and such place to have a voice or demand respect in certain areas. And what do you say to people like people like that? Because I also often find myself in that category. It's like I understand I'm not at the at the highest place and the, respecting those above me, but at the same time, some things just aren't right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I, I think you have to pick and choose It's Especially depending on where you are In your career mm-hmm. and where you are in life You have to pick and choose when you speak up And then you have to pick and choose who you speak up to mm-hmm. I think I think a good Boss, and I tried to do this From my position as a senior producer at Meet the Press But definitely in my position as DC Bureau Chief For Vice News mm-hmm. A good boss creates A situation where people feel comfortable speaking up about their ideas mm-hmm. and that their ideas will be heard and, and sometimes incorporated. And if not, then you have a healthy discussion about like, okay, why this isn't quite right. And have you thought mm-hmm. about it like this and that kind of thing. I think that younger people who are, who are building their way up sometimes come out the gate real hot. <laughs> and it's not that, the idea that they're expressing isn't necessarily good but sometimes they don't know enough to back it up and mm-hmm. really like back up their argument. And I think if you're going to draw attention to yourself in that way in like a larger group or even a small group, then you better you better come correct basically. But I think sometimes especially at certain points in your career, the better way is really start to think about like who that's further along do you consider someone who could be a mentor to you, but at least someone who is, who is known for creating a space where you can have a conversation. And if something isn't right, you go to, you go to them personally and Mm -hmm. directly. And you're like, Hey, I was thinking this, this, and this, and what do you think? And blah, blah, blah. And I think one, it's easier to have that dialogue when it's not in front of everybody else sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And two, if, if you've taken a little time and observed how people operate then you will start to develop a relationship with that person who you realize wants to hear your input Mm -hmm. and, and they're going to remember that you have smart input and that is going to be helpful in your career. I, but I do think you have to like, I I think um, millennials get labeled as entitled Mm -hmm. and some of that is like youth. When someone comes in and is Dismissive of other people's ideas, and especially if it's a younger person who is dismissive yeah. of other, other people's ideas, and it, they come across as they think they should be the ones running the show. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes maybe they should be the one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but, but
0: but no one above you is going to appreciate that at that yeah. particular moment. So you have to figure out what is the right way to, to say something, and sometimes there is actually a wrong way to say something, mm-hmm. even if you are right.
1: What do you think was like your biggest mess up? Your like during your first, like your your as a baby little Shauna, you know what was what were you like? Oh shoot, I think this is it for me.
0: Um, so I I don't think I've had a well. Like, I have had one, oh shoot, this is it for me, but I'm actually not going to talk about it. (laughs) That's fair. I'm (laughs) going to leave that in the dustbin of history in tears. (laughs) Um, So there's sort of two things I think about. Um, One, when I was a news associate at the Today Show, so my first posting, NBC News, Mm -hmm. total newbie, red badge, uh, not even staff. um, (laughs) It was sort of like, you know, and this is like every internship or fellowship. No one kind of knows what to do with you at the beginning yeah. and you don't know what you're doing. And so whatever. Yes. And I had had one conversation with one of the senior producers about like what a like video you know, projects or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I sent like an I news message to all of the producers at the today show being like, Hey, I'm Shauna. I'm a news associate. I am here and can work on stuff. What do you want me to work on? Like, give me a tape to log, mm-hmm. I don't know." And that senior producer called me into his office and he was like, it's my job just to, to actually assign you stuff, not not other producers. Mm. And you know, like there there has to be some kind of plan and regimented way of doing this. And it wasn't that he was slapping me down, though I, I felt that at the time, mm-hmm. like I had made a mistake. I don't think I'd made a mistake. I just didn't know enough about the situation mm-hmm. to or how the show worked to know how to weirdly raise my hand and ask for work properly and mm-hmm. so he was trying to explain that to me now after that he gave me like literally 1,000 projects <laughs> um, I actually was given interesting work on the Today show at that point um but um that was one thing that has always stuck with me that that reminds me all the time that like you do you need to take a moment and survey the situation. Mm-hmm. And understand the process and figure that out. And then you can probably insert yourself better into that process. So that was sort of number one. Number two, where I was like, oh, I might lose my job. Um, I like to call this the hashtag bow down incident. <laughs> uh, so I like to say, though I've been told by Jim Long I am incorrect about this, but I like to say... Mm-hmm that i was the person who brought twitter to nbc news and i started using twitter in 2007 um, because the obama campaign was putting out information about what the campaign was going to do and his responses on twitter before they were sending out emails Mm. and so i started following them on twitter and then i got a twitter handle and then i started using twitter and this was before nbc news had social media policies so i just say whatever i wanted um all that got like locked down by a certain point Mm -hmm. but i was i'm still quite verbose on twitter um much more so back then than i am now Mm -hmm. but when i was in the white house unit um there was some day evening whatever where there was a state dinner and michelle obama had a gorgeous dress on just gorgeous and um and this was like Right after uh, The Beyonce album came out Like mm-hmm. the self-titled one Hashtag mm-hmm. bow down if mm-hmm.
1: you know.
0: mm-hmm. And so I tweeted Something along the lines And you can find this tweet still Because I never <laughs> deleted it um, Like Michelle Obama looks amazing That's not an exact quote Something like that Hashtag bow down mm-hmm. Sort of referencing like Beyonce Yeah. Michelle Malkin took that tweet And ran with it and basically, she went on Twitter and was like, "Look at this NBC producer, a sycophant for the Obamas. She's totally in the tank. She should be fired." And I was like, "Ugh, whatever, Michelle Malkin." Like, and and at that point, like, I am not like I'm not doing television regularly like yeah. I do now or anything like that. So I'm just like a behind the scenes White House producer who covers the president. And, and happens to have a Twitter. <laughs> and it's a good job. Um, and that tweet. Started getting retweeted a lot, and I was watching it happen over the course of the evening. And I was like, "Huh." By the next morning, there was a drudge report um, article about me. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> um, And I am sort of sitting on my couch that evening, and I'm just like, uh, "This doesn't feel okay anymore." Mm-hmm. I walked into work the next morning. Ken Strickland looked at me Ken Strickland who is now the bureau chief Mm -hmm. and At that point I think he was the deputy bureau chief Mm -hmm. Um, And he just like Crooked his finger to me and was like come into my office And I I
1: can picture that happening with Ken too (laughs)
0: Like it was like Direct beeline to me Um, And he was like so I was on the phone With the global head of PR last night And I was like Because of my Michelle Obama tweet And he's like yes because of your Michelle Obama tweet And I was like okay and he basically, like, I didn't, like, you know, I didn't get docked pay. I didn't get in trouble. I wasn't mm-hmm. suspended. I wasn't like taken off an Obama trip to mm-hmm. like a foreign country or anything. But he was basically like, you now represent NBC in a way, especially as a White House producer, where like everything you say is a reflection on the company. Mm-hmm. It's a reflection on our news gathering. And while you don't feel high profile, and you're not, you are you are in a for at least for news a high profile position, mm-hmm. and you have to be careful. I, I believe the standards handbook was rewritten because of that incident. Um,
1: Shauna, so you went viral, got a drudge <laughs> report, <laughs> got yelled at by Ken Strickland. <laughs> And Global had, Global I think
0: wanted to be um, <laughs>
1: And you and made uh, us rewrite the handbook on yeah. the course of twenty four hours. Yeah. I, I stand you, that. Queen. I do. I, I do,
0: do. <laughs> Um and then the other thing that, that Ken doesn't say this, but my senior producer at the time, Alicia Jennings, who I love and adore, um, she was like, Here's your problem. Hashtag bow down. You live in a world where you know every lyric to that Beyoncé album, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people in the middle of America and a lot of people in other places who only see that as saying that Michelle Obama is queen and not, like, a queen, which has a different connotation in sort of politics Mm -hmm. and American history and that kind of thing. They don't see it as a, like, blink and a nod to Beyoncé. That was part of the problem. And so, what the lesson from there is, like, one, think before you tweet, um, but two... um, like, you have to think of everything, especially when you're working in news, like, from a much larger point of view than just your part of the world. So, yeah.
1: That's, I think that's a really great point to bring up, because that was my also first experience. Like, I'm when I first got hired as an intern with the <laughs> investigative unit for NBC, like, I had, I had retweeted that, um... Kristen Gillibrand was was uh, ex- doing an exploratory committee. Yeah. And this was like before I had started. Um, and I didn't think I was more so excited about the fact that another woman was running for office, like because I fully believe, <laughs> you know, more women in politics. And um, Rich Gardella, who I love to this day, don't I, you don't you I love, love Rich, Rich Gardella? I, I love him <laughs> I uh, I love Rich Cardella and he because he was my so he sat and he was my boss um and he sat me down said Natalia he like came in like closed the door you have to have a talk and I was like dude it's my first like I didn't I came in to sign paperwork today I didn't even come to like and he's like so like went through your Twitter I talked to standards like we're gonna have to and I was just so I've I didn't know how to feel because I'd never, in a way, been so censored. And Mm -hmm. for me, that was so new because, number one, I don't usually, like, post anything. Um, Yeah. I didn't start really posting more until, you know, I started working in media and news. And I just couldn't see how, like, my retweet was... Like, this whole issue, me and my lowly, you know, 24-year-old self. I was like, mm-hmm. that's not that serious. <laughs> but, it, but it was. And I think that was, that for me was, like, such a moment because I was having to ha- figure out how to readjust my life. And and just same like you, like, you were saying bow down is, a, is to Beyonce, which I totally would have gotten. Yeah. And how my, like, my humor may not translate well yep. to others. And that has been, I think, the most difficult thing for me, because um, I'm just naturally a sarcastic person. So yes, I just and I am too.
0: <laughs> But you are also representing a company. Yeah. At all times. Yeah.
1: And I think that I think that's like the hardest bit for for people adjusting to this, because I I know we even even to a couple months into me then becoming a, a desk assistant was we were having meetings, not, not necessarily about me per se, just like as, as a cohort. And um, we were asking like, should we take things down? And they're like, no, 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 listen, it's fine. We understand that you had a life before NBC. You'll have a life after NBC. Um, But I think there is that it's so nerve wracking, especially for newbies coming into the business to really kind of find that balance and be wary and be like, I kind of have to be public because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in this world, but I don't really want to be because I also want to be able to share my thoughts and opinions and kind of finding that balance. But I also think there now, not that there's this assumption that all news is biased, but I think there's also, I'm trying to figure out how to put it. I feel like there's a little bit more creative license because I, f- I weirdly feel like if you had tweeted that tweet now, it would not have...
0: Yeah, I don't think it would have now. I think that yeah. was a different time. Um, but it, I think just because the belief that all news is biased, I don't think you give people more ammunition to believe. Oh,
1: absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. I just, I think that, like, there's, I think there's just, like, a different wavelength now, maybe, that we play on. Because I, I fully, I do. I think if you had tweeted that now, it wouldn't have been no one would have cared no one would have cared even with your platform even with at the level that you're at I feel like it would just it wouldn't have blown up I think if you said like ah oh, she's the best in the world then maybe we have something to talk about a little different. <laughs> be a little different but I I don't think now like that type of tweet so I mean are you are you happy that there's kind of this change in the social media world are you still like I'm gonna stick to what I know
0: I'm still a little. I'm going to stick to what I know. I mean, I make jokes on Twitter, and mm-hmm. I and you know, I, I I probably am a little looser on social media, or at least Twitter, which is one of my like very public-facing versions mm-hmm. of social media. I don't use Facebook as a public-facing tool. Um, I, I I probably got a little looser when I went to Vice than mm-hmm. I was at ABC News. And I'm a little looser now that I'm at Quibi, or I'm looser in a different way now that mm-hmm. I'm at Quibi. But I still, because I've been in the news business for a while, and I always like, I, I think there's a very good chance at some point I'll go back into straight up news. Mm-hmm. I'm still very careful about what I talk about online, and I do, I do the test. Like there are some times where I'm like, this would be hilarious, <laughs> and I read myself, and I'm like, I'm like, anytime I think should I ask someone if this is appropriate, that means it's not true. And then I just delete that and go about my life.
1: Or like I meet for me, it's like I tell it to like a close friend, like over the phone and then (laughs) make sure there's no trace evidence (laughs) and then go about my business. So how did you kind of realize when it was time to move on? to Vice because I, I think like t- after 10 years at a place that I mean we just don't do that anymore you know it's it's
0: no I it's, I realize I am a relic as someone who spent 10 years even at my age like even on the older end of millennial <laughs> um this isn't quite how I felt like I was kind of the last generation that could do one of those I'm gonna stay at one place for 30 years careers mm-hmm. And I think, I I mean, I'm sure like between economics and other stuff that may not have worked out at NBC, but I think I could have like solidly done a good 20 to 25, Mm -hmm. um, and never left NBC News. Um, and in the back of my head, that's kind of what I had set up. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think a couple of things happened for me personally, which was, you know, at the 10 year mark, um... Or a little before the ten year mark, like my contract was up at NBC. Mm-hmm. I had a two year contract at that point. It became open in the like late spring of two thousand sixteen. Not mm-hmm. the greatest time. I mean, in some ways and NBC <laughs> knows this, so I don't feel badly saying this mm-hmm. like Signing me for a two-year contract in 2014 that was up in May or June of 2016, mm-hmm. when I was the senior producer of Meet the Press, wasn't their smartest move in the world? No. Like, they have things and, to do. But my lawyer and I were like, oh, this is great, because by 2016, like, if you're doing a good job, you'll have all this leverage. They won't want to lose you. So, mm-hmm. This was, like, a very much so a business decision for me. Um, so cool. Um, and when my... When what's known as my window opened, mm-hmm. which meant there, the way at least the way NBC had done my contract, was that about a month before the contract was up, mm-hmm. I had the ability to talk to other companies about jobs. Mm-hmm. Before that, the way the contracts are tend to be written is that talking to another, like a rival or a competitor mm-hmm. about positions or interviewing is actually a breach of contract. Oh, But a month before your contract is up, they open it up for you to be able to do that. And mm-hmm. that, you know, it serves a purpose for them, which is, Let's say they don't want to renew your contract. At least they've given you a month to talk to other people. Um, and for you, it serves the purpose of creating leverage for yourself. Mm-hmm. So go out, find another job offer, come back to your company and be like, hey, I have this other job offer and they're going to pay me this much. what you get? Like it is a very contractual process. Mm-hmm. Um, they let my window open. I started interviewing. I was getting job offers and suggestions and the ability to talk to different types of people. But I will say, like, I had wanted uh, to work at Meet the Press since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I've loved Meet the Press since I was a child. I loved watching Tim Russert on Sundays when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working with Chuck, and I had a, have a great relationship with Chuck, Todd. And I had no intention of leaving NBC News. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went in for kind of, like, in, like in, through a very, like, kind of happenstance way like an informational interview at Vice that was starting this new show, Vice News Tonight on HBO. Mm-hmm. They weren't even, I, I don't even think at that point, they knew they were looking for other senior producers. It really was informational, put mm-hmm. myself out there. Um, and I met with a guy named Josh Tarangel who uh, was, who, who, who was running Vice News Tonight on HBO um, along with, he was running it with a woman named Madeline Herringer who had worked for NBC for many years, and I had been talking to her because she wanted suggestions of people they could hire in D.C., and she wasn't, she was definitely not trying to hire me, it was literally <laughs> like, you know other producer or politics types, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about politics, who do you like in D.C. that may be a good fit for this thing, and I'd given her some suggestions, and then I asked her, because I was in my contract negotiations, like, is there anything advice for me? And she was like, well, we weren't going to hire a D.C. bureau chief until 2017, but you can come in and talk to Josh. I don't care. I, don't, like, I think Madeline had no intention of hiring me. Um, and I went in for this interview, and Josh's like, first or second question, and I had never been in an interview like this before, he looked at me and he said, what do you think is wrong with Congress right now? Good. And I looked at him, and I was like, huh, okay. And then I was like, earmarks is what I think is wrong with Congress right mm. now. And what I meant by that was the fact that they had gotten, that like, sort of Boehner-era era House of Representatives had gotten rid of the earmarks was part of the gridlock problem in Congress. And we proceeded to have a 45-minute conversation about earmarks, <laughs> which sounds really boring when it comes out of my mouth, but I had a really great time. And what I got out of that was he was trying to think about how could he make political coverage smarter? Mm. Like, how could he dive deeper into things? How could he, like, think through these concepts? And and he explained to me how he wanted to do that particular show, which uh, one big tenet of it was sort of, like, you know, no pandering and no bullshit in that let's make a show for a younger audience. And some things are very, you know, just technical, like faster-paced, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But also do not underestimate our younger audience uh, uh. And, and make them smarter if at all possible. And I came out of that interview and I sat, like I went around the corner and sat at this like hummus bar slash wine shop in Brooklyn. And I was like, huh, interesting. And as I was sitting there, I will remember just to this day, it was four forty-five in the afternoon. And I, Chuck Todd calls me and this is like 15 minutes before his show goes to air on weekdays. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean what I'm doing? He's like, I hear you're doing an interview right now. And I was like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) so that's creepy.
0: (laughs) So That's creepy. But this this is how the world works. And it's fine. People find out about things and, Mm and gets back to their bosses. Um, but in the end, what I realized was, while I had this amazing position, I was working with these amazing people, and I still love, love NBC News in a way that is not smart, actually, because NBC <laughs> is, a company, and they do not love you. Um, but I still love the peacock. Mm-hmm. I was at that point in my career that if I signed another two or four-year contract or whatever, and I stayed on Meet the Press, we could get to the point where, okay. So I'm married already. Um, If Uh I have a baby, I will never leave this company until they force me out because I make pretty good money. I'm going to make more money. Uh I have a good position. I can probably still rise up a couple of rungs in the ladder, at least in D.C. Uh at some point. And it will be safe and protected. I will enjoy the work. But it doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily learn all that much more. Mm, mm. And I felt like if I have a kid, that safe protection becomes one of the most important things um, so that I can, like, provide and raise not an asshole. Um, Which we would
1: we would love for, for the world. You yeah, we
0: need more non-assholes in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Vice was giving me an opportunity to play in a slightly different space on a premium channel mm-hmm. at a company like Vice is what it is. But like I, w- I had watched a lot of their content and was super intrigued by the way yeah. they wrote stories. Um, the way Josh imagined the show at the time before it premiered mm-hmm. was true, and they were going to give me this bureau chief title, which was pretty cool. I, it like. An opportunity like that may not come along again, and even mm-hmm. if it does, I may not be able to take it. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was like, oh, oh, okay. I also saw the musical Hamilton in that same time period, <laughs> and I had my birthday, and I came out of Hamilton sort of being like, I can't throw away my shy. It's true. Like that's actually that's the one that through my head. And between all of these like weird things, I was like, you know what? I gotta leave. I'm going to leave the, oldest running, the longest running show on television, but I'm going to leave it. And I'm mm-hmm. going to go do this thing that hasn't even started yet, and I'm just going to see if I can do it, because I think if I don't take the opportunity, I never will now. Mm. And so I, like, you, you know, dipped. jump in the pool.
1: And then you so quickly then went to Quibi.
0: Well, I mean, three years.
1: That's <laughs> true. I don't know. Time is, what is time?
0: I, what is time? Time is just an endless circle of wibbly-wobbly. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose. Sw- Three years Mm -hmm. there. I worked there on the very first episode of Vice News Tonight on HBO, and I worked on the very last episode of Vice News Tonight on HBO. And with that, the decision to leave Vice was a lot about, like, I felt like I'd finished something.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: The show did not get picked up again in that that particular form. I knew it was going to come back in a different form on on the TV channel that Vice is partial owner of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I was like, I think, I'm, I think I've learned what I needed to learn here, and mm. I think I've done what I wanted to do, and I'm super, super proud of this show and the work we've done between Charlottesville, some of my political coverage, like, all that kind of stuff. I was like, I. Th- I also think I learned to be a better writer. I think I learned how to tell stories in a more cinematic way. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So it was just time. I was done.
1: That's I don't know, that feels like a big, like, kind of thing to kind of sit with, being like, oh, I'm I'm done with this.
0: Yeah, it was. It took me a long time to kind of get there, too. Um, but I, yeah, I was, I was, I was just kind of done.
1: And was was that I mean you said it took you a long time to get there but was that hard for you cuz I think saying goodbye to things that are comfortable and normal with NBC and with Vice to say oh I'm done with this is is a lot I mean that's a that's a rough therapy session that's <laughs> bottles of wine you know
0: <laughs> it, I mean it was it was a lot of uh, bottles of wine and my husband hearing me whine about what should I do for in my future mm-hmm. but I think Cutting out of NBC News mm-hmm. al- gave me gave me some information that like, oh, it's possible to leave a job. It's mm-hmm. possible to leave. And like I'd had like something like seven titles in ten years at NBC. So I'd left jobs but I'd stayed at the comfort. Company. Of yeah. Um, but it I realized, oh, it's not the end of the world when you take the next thing. Mm-hmm. Like you and, and also it i I think one of the things that my parents had sort of instilled in me, which is positive and negative is that if you have something solid, you should stay with it because you can provide for yourself. Mm-hmm. You will be self-sufficient, that kind of thing. And my years at MDC, it was really that. And I remember my mom freaked out about me leaving MDC. News. She was like, what is advice? I don't understand what you're doing. This is a terrible decision. Mm-hmm. You have a good thing going. Don't rock the boat. But sometimes if you don't rock the boat, you won't learn more. Mm-hmm. And you won't get other opportunities.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think it was a little easier for me to make the decision to leave Vice because like I had done it in NBC. I was like, oh I'll survive. I'll survive. Mm, I won't miss these people that I worked with. I'm I'm very close to the team I put together in Mm -hmm. DC. I felt um I didn't I didn't feel a lot about like abandoning Vice, but I didn't Mm -hmm. feel like I was abandoning the staff I put together. Mm. Also like a good chunk of that staff Went out and got other jobs <laughs> and, and left Vice at about the same time I left. I
1: mean, Vice, Vice so. is going through it right now, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, my people are going through it, but they'll they'll survive. They do very good
1: work. mhm, yeah. And you said you learned. I I want to hear more. A little, just maybe a sentence or two about you know learning to tell stories in a in a more of a cinematic way because I think we get very stuck in the, in a traditional way of telling news. And I think definitely as, you know, this generation grows and becomes more politically active from millennials to the Gen Z's to the, I I don't, I don't know who else is out here, but just like, you know, the other, the people that are coming up and kind of how we want to hear news and, and what we want from news. Cause I I think that's a big thing is I don't, I, at least in, in my circle, while, you know, they don't just want to hear about what Trump was tweeting. They don't just want to hear about, you know, this thing. We want to hear about, you know, that small farm in the middle of, middle of somewhere that is struggling and what that really does and the policy impact and stuff like that. So can you talk a little bit about learning to tell news a different way? And was that difficult for you?
0: It was actually a little difficult for me at the beginning. So what I would, when I say that, that like that's what I got out of vice. What I mean is that I, you know, I, I produced a lot of, of packages for the NBC Nightly News and a few mm-hmm. for the Today Show, but a lot, especially when I was a White House producer for Nightly News. Mm-hmm. And they follow a pattern. Yeah, and you do, you kind of know what the pattern is. You kind of know which sound bites you need. I got very, very good at basically like handing off to the White House correspondents like a buffet of like, here's four sound bites to choose from for this part, and four to choose from from this part, and like here's what I think the structure should be. And they they follow a pattern. And something in that pattern is comforting when you watch like the mm-hmm. NBC Nightly News. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And it is also in some ways a function of being a show that has commercial breaks and you got mm-hmm. hit certain times. Um and 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 you have to understand the whole construction of the mm-hmm. show to not sometimes feel like you're getting short you're giving short shrift to a specific story. Yeah. Um and I'd learned all about that. And I'd learned about structuring an entire show working at Meet the Press, but also dealing with commercial breaks. And, but what I was being offered advice was like we are gonna we're going to have pitch meetings every week and we're going to listen from the lowest researcher to the highest executive to all these pitches. And Mm -hmm. if someone has a good idea, here's some money, go shoot that story. Mm. Um, And we will work with you before you go out in the field and we will plan this out and we will structure it editorially, and all that kind of stuff. So like, that was interesting. The other thing was I didn't have a time constraint, really. Mm -hmm. Our time constraint was the show. We had a half hour slot on HBO. We didn't have any commercials, our show had to be anywhere from 24 to 29 minutes. Um, So we made the best possible show we could make for that day. And sometimes that episode was 25 minutes and sometimes, and sometimes that episode was 25 minutes and had four pieces in it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that episode was 29 minutes and had three pieces in it. And so it was one of those things where you were suddenly kind of free of these constraints of network tv news when it came to like making telling a story yeah at that and then i will say and i now repeat this to everyone but like one way josh tarangel helped me think about how to build a story was sort of three parts which was mm-hmm. what what so what and now what and along with the who what where when why how, mm-hmm. like all the things we learn in journalism school but the idea of structuring like Like, what is the story? Why is this important? How are you going to tell people it's important and make them understand that? And what happens next? And thinking through it, that was a different way of thinking about telling a story for me. And then also, we were booking, like, two cameramen and audio for every single piece. Like, we were... (laughs) We, we spent money like a lot.
1: Yeah, I was like, ooh, girl.
0: <laughs> we spent a ton of money. Um, but I think it actually it shows, because what that means is that when someone has a really great idea that involves... I mean, one of the last pieces my team did for the show involved traveling to Hawaii, South Korea, Delaware, and Arlington Cemetery. And it was an idea pitched by a researcher. Um <laughs>
1: i'm sorry and they let you spend what a dream what a dream and a treat
0: <laughs> I, think, I think that piece probably costs like hundred twenty thousand dollars. Oh know, my. maybe more than that um
1: <laughs> for those not, of not, you not that like, don't, don't know
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's fine um but like this it was just like what do you basically josh was like what stories do y'all want to tell how do you want to tell them and how beautifully can we tell them Mm. Or how smart can we tell them With respect to a lot of sort of like The day of politics stuff I did For the show itself And so like That really sort of changed my frame of reference About how you can storytell Because I had a boss who was like Dream bigger And you know my I know I'm only supposed to have a couple of sentences about this I'm almost done Um, (laughs) But I come back to Charlottesville In that piece And that Mm -hmm. piece I senior produced it, along with another senior. Um, It was a mix of her team and my team who did it. And I remember I was on the phone with that team for, like, basically 48 hours all the time. Like, go get more, go get more, go get more. Mm -hmm. What I thought we were doing and what had originally been pitched was, like, if something big happened there, which it did, and something terrible and sad, the Sunday night after Charlottesville happened on a Mm -hmm. Saturday... Um, I'd been sent the script by the producer for a six or seven minute piece. It was like fine, but not great. It was, it was kind of whatever. Um,
1: in six minutes, woof.
0: Yeah. That's well, beautiful. That's, that, well, it, and that's what we went in thinking, and that like, that was the kind of piece we could do. But uh, the editor of that piece had done like a 35 or 35 minute string out of like the best moments of what they had shot. And my boss went into the office in New York and watched the entire spring out. And he called me at about, like, 9.30 that night. And he was like, Shauna, and I was like, yeah? Because um, I'd only seen the, like, script, and I was mm-hmm. a little bit worried. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, like, I knew we had powerful material because I'd been talking to them all the time, but I was still, like, a little bit worried. And he was like, we're going to do the whole episode tomorrow. And it had never occurred to me... To be like, if this is the most important thing And this is the best thing we got And there's a story to be told To just blow out your whole episode And take the entire 24 or 25 minutes And just do tell this story Because that wouldn't happen on NBC Nightly News mm-hmm. Except like in a 9-11 situation Like mm-hmm. that's different And I was like, standing in my kitchen I was like, it would have never It would have never occurred to me To make a whole episode mm-hmm. Because I had never been given license like that before mm-hmm and the next day he came in and he told people what they were going to do and he assigned the whole episode version of the show to like this really kick-ass editor and worked on it and then we also did an entire second show that we produced in case we couldn't finish the episode because there oh, was shoot. so much footage and there was just a lot of logistical problems and um around like three thirty that day mm-hmm. like, I, like I wrote and shot a piece for that episode um and around three thirty that day, my boss like has a meeting and he's like, If we don't only focus on the Charlottesville and like the One Piece episode, it won't get done. So we're gonna abandon everything else we're doing, even if it means we have no backup plan <laughs> <laughs> and we are just gonna like full bore go for this thing because we have a story that people need to see. And that's what we put on the air at seven thirty and it barely got done. But it changed my way on, on mm-hmm. top of winning a bunch of awards, which was nice for me and for everybody else, mm-hmm. um it changed my way of thinking about how you could approach news.
1: I think that's I think that's so powerful. I'm glad you, you know, use more than a two sentences. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm I'm here for it to describe that. you can edit some of this out, it's fine. Nah. We keep it all in. <laughs> but um I, I love that. And was and now at, at Quibi. Yeah. Is that Kind of an expansion of what you were doing at, at Vice in a way, because I know I know Quibi News is. I haven't watched Quibi yet because I'm so still not fu- know, fully fully not sure what it, down it down is. It. Still, I'm okay, still.
0: <laughs> Quibi. Quibi stands for quick bites. Um, and what oh that my! Means.
1: Okay, where's that been in the commercials?
0: It wasn't in the commercials, and that's a whole other conversation. But we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Quibi stands for quick bites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, and, and the idea of Quick bites is that all of the episodes on the app, uh, which you can download on your Android or Apple phone, um, are less than 10 minutes long. Mm-hmm. But all of, everything is shot and produced the way it was sort of explained to me going in was like, we want HBO quality. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't, this ain't YouTube. We're not doing sure, it. Sure. It's been in mm-hmm. your basement, um, but in 10 minutes or less. Mm-hmm. And the part of Quibi that I work for is known as Daily Essentials, and I'm primarily in charge of the content that is new, that is like straight up daily news on the platform. I have a couple of other shows as well. I suggest you watch The Nod; it's really, really good.
1: I've heard good uh, things. I have heard of The Nod. Yes. yes.
0: Um, but uh, so I'm in charge of NBC News has shows on the app, uh, BBC News has shows on the app, and and some other stuff. Um, but what we're doing is we are trying to make. A sort of younger focus, which is sort of where my vice experience mm-hmm. comes in. Newscasts for an audience who doesn't want to spend a lot of time listening or watching news, but is still a value add. That's also where sort of my vice experience mm-hmm. comes in, because like what we're not going to give you is like like fully breaking news. We can't respond mm-hmm. that fast, and you can get that from Twitter headlines on your computer. I have MSNBC on my TV right now. Like everyone's got breaking news covered <laughs> I can't compete with that, yeah, but what I can do is make an interesting to look at well thought through packaged newscast or help in like nBC can do this BBC can mm-hmm. do this, and I can like help them along with it um, that people will want to watch, and that hopefully younger people will want to watch um and so part of I think part of me getting that job was this experience of creating a newscast for younger people um and then Part of it for me was once again, like, what am I going to learn? Mm-hmm. So part of what I love about news is, and journalism in general, is like, you get paid to just learn new stuff. Like one it's day you sit true. down and you're like, oh, oh, okay, inspectors general. I don't know anything about how mm-hmm. inspectors general works. But <laughs> now today someone is going to pay me to figure that out yeah. and then figure out a way to explain some of that to the outside world. That is the fun part of this, of that job. Also when I think about like what job I want to take, like what am I, what can, who can I learn from and what can I learn? Mm-hmm. And you know, I, Quibi, while a startup, is a startup started by Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg. And Jeffrey Katzenberg has a lot of experience and content at a very high level. And I would be working directly with him. Um, and then I would be learning about how to, like the process that goes into how do you develop a show from scratch? And how do you work with outside partners? And some of those partners are news organizations that I have a very long relationship with, like NBC. And some of those partners are like LA production companies making a music show for me, who speak a totally different language than I've learned in TV news, who approach things differently. How do I learn that language and how do I communicate with them and how do we work together to like make something I think people want to watch. And what Quibi was basically offering me was like, see how a startup comes together, launch a new product, and also learn how to move in these different worlds. So learn how to move in a Hollywoody world and learn how to continue to move at a higher level in the news world that I was already in. Mm-hmm. And all those things added up to like another situation where I was like, I don't know how I pass up this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, when someone's basically like here, le- learn how to run something.
1: I need to download Quibi.
0: It's still in media, and it's still, like, related to what I think is the only thing I know how to do well. I Mm -hmm. I literally have no other skills whatsoever, (laughs) as far as I can tell. Um, So I better expand those skills so I am more marketable in the future, too.
1: I think that's incredible, and I love that you're expanding out just, like, just not directly news, but news-adjacent. And kind yes, of getting news adjacent. News adjacent. But I, I love that. And I love that you talk about where you started and how you got there. And then to this incredible position, because there's so many, I think there's some people that have like downloaded Quibi, still not sure what it is, but like, are like, Ooh, this is this new thing. And I think to be, to have a face like yours where I can look at, and so many other women can look at and be like, Oh, I can do that too. Exactly. And I, and I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the last question, because I have so many more, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. The last question I have for you is, um, which I ask all my guests, is how do you define being a woman or womanhood? Wow. This I edit out, the pauses. So. Yeah, yeah. Give me, just give me, a, give me
0: a moment on that one. How do I define being a woman? I mean, I have never really thought about that. I'm like having a vagina. <laughs> I mean, that's the technical definition. Um, I think, here's the deal. I don't know the right answer. Okay, there's no such thing as a right answer. Mm -hmm. I, while I have found being a woman to, that's wrapped up in my race too. While I have found being a black woman to be an experience where I need to be better faster smarter than everybody else to get ahead Mm -hmm. so that's because of how my parents raised me but some of that is because i think it might be right um and sometimes i resent that i have never found being a woman to be limited so like i guess i define being a woman as having a world of possibility because, on top of the fact that I think I can pretty much do, at least in my chosen fields and my mm-hmm. chosen life, um, anything a man can do, I also, whether I choose to or not, have the ability to make other humans.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that means you have a lot of options. And I think maybe, like, I see being a woman as having options, and I don't know if my mother would think that or my grandmother would have thought that, but I I do.
1: (laughs) I love that. I love all the different answers I get, and I I love yours just as much. It's great. I mean,
0: include the vagina part, because that's actually the truth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we deal with it. It's there. We're happy about it most of the time, except... Once a month, but most of the time, <laughs> oh,
0: you can get rid of that. <laughs> Called an IUD, is great.
1: Uh-huh. Shauna, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Shout out, give kudos to before we close out.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, Quibi.
1: Quibi, an uh, app.
0: <laughs> on your phone, and you can download it. And if you download it now, you get two weeks free to try lots of things. You can try the news. If the news isn't your thing, it'll make me sad. Um, But you also have you got some famous celebrities on the app mm-hmm. uh you got yourself some liam hemsworth you got yourself some chrissy teigen yeah, joe jonas
1: you, is on there that i do got, know
0: actually i've only seen the first episode of that but it's actually quite charming mostly because of <laughs> sophie turner
1: to be oh honest. true also a gem so they're
0: together like in amsterdam like running around <laughs> and it's actually it's she's she makes that episode um <laughs> Not that Jonas, Joe Jonas isn't great, too, but (laughs) Sophie Turner is, uh, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Also, Sophie Turner has her own show on the app, too. Oh, okay. Um, But what I'm saying is, like, give it a try. It's only, it's less than ten minutes out of your day. (laughs) I I really actually think there is something that has quality and for everyone. I don't think every show is for everyone, but there's Mm -hmm. no network that has every show for everyone. But I do think there is... um, You can find something that will entertain, enlighten you and in some cases actually bring you a little bit of joy.
1: Awesome. Shauna, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast and chatting with me. Um, thank you all to the listeners. If you would like to connect with the show, uh, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pretty Face Lady 3 and please also like us on Facebook. If you would like to say hi, if you'd like to be on the show, know someone who should be on the show, um, please email us at PrettyFaceWomen at mtapfpodcast.com, and I'll talk to you soon.